Coming to you from the Golden State, this is the Art for Everyone podcast. Bringing art back to the people, one episode at a time. And bringing you compelling guest interviews with inspirational artists. And now your hosts, professional artist and owner of Carini Arts, Michael Carini, and real estate guru, Vinny Enriquez. Well, that was something different. <laughs> because it doesn't have a countdown, the sound of it, and if you're listening to this on podcast, you, you're, you're not going to notice that stuff. But because if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll know that you could hear uh, our guest and Michael talk, something I didn't know because the sound wasn't there. But anyways, this is all about changing, all about growing. Michael, you want to talk to us or what are you going to be, the, the, the mass yeah. pirate? or? Well, welcome to the show. We're close to the 5th of November, so I had to celebrate. But yeah, we, we've had some changes. Okay, so we're, we're figuring a few things out with the show. And if you know anything about the art life, is that you're always adapting. So we're working on a new intro. We're working on a new logo. We got stuff coming your way. But we already had to make a change in the name of the show because somebody else was already using the name Artcast or the Artcast. So we just changed it to Art for Everyone. But as we get going, we feel like we'll get our feet under us. But like art... Sometimes you just got to get going. You're never really ready. And uh, we're excited, though, because we got some big guests lined up, including we, today we got with us Nick Boltman. And we are currently looking for sponsors. So if you are a business interested in sponsoring the podcast, we're going to have some big names on here and be doing some exciting stuff. So we would love for your support because us artists, we depend on your support to keep going. And I also want to let you know that we did create an Instagram page. So Art for Everyone podcast is now on Instagram. You can help us grow our following. And for the first couple episodes, like while we're recording live right now, this is not going to be available just yet on the podcast platforms until we have probably three episodes, but you can catch us live on YouTube. So those are announcements for today. We're also going to be talking about AI art. Is Skynet taking over and is it making artists obsolete? But I would like to take this time, I am very excited to introduce an artist that I am very fond of. I really admire his work, and I think that he's a wonderful first guest. This is Nick Boltman, and we will let him tell you who he is, because I want our guests to be able to tell you who they are. Well, thank you, Michael and Vinny, for having me on uh, for the first podcast. It's crazy you guys are even trusting me to do this, and I happily jumped on it. Um, but yeah, I'm Nick Boltman. I'm an abstract artist out of Gilbert, Arizona. I've been doing this for about two, two and a half years now, and now I'm a full-time artist. Um, didn't have an art background in terms of the profession, or I'm sorry, the, uh, education standpoint. So I think it would, Michael was talking to me earlier. I think I could, I could have some interesting insights to share about my experience and hopefully the audience and the viewers and listeners, um, get some value from my story. So, wait, two and a half years. So that's we're right now, end of 2023. So you're right before COVID, huh? Uh, well, August 2021. So, okay, um, so yeah, however you half a month, half a, like a uh, half a month or so before COVID. Okay, so that I mean that's going to be an interesting one to hear because a lot of people are kind of like bunkering down. I think during COVID, but also I think you were talking about Michael that you got more feet on your your stuff because people had nothing to do. I think that COVID was a real eye-opener for a lot of people. I think that it woke people up to these illusions of security and the fact that you could lose these things that you didn't really want. 
And with all that time indoors, it gave people an opportunity to kind of re really reevaluate what they were doing, where they wanted to be. And uh, as Nick was saying, he's been doing it for just a couple years, but I will say as somebody that's been doing this for a long time, Nick is a very, very successful artist. And I am not the type that follows or pays attention to what a lot of other artists are doing because my philosophy is I'm an artist. I'm not really uh, an art. I mean, I, I took art history, but uh, I'm more of an astronaut than an astronomer. I'm more of a doer than a studier. So although I try to acknowledge the things going on, I try to focus a lot on my work, but I could not ignore all the wonderful things that I've seen from Nick, uh, just incredible content videos and process videos and magnificent work. And so when I recently discovered that he's only been doing this for a couple years, I was both surprised and not surprised. I was surprised because I'm like, damn, this guy's blowing it up and really killing the art scene. But I wasn't surprised in the sense that I have said for a long time that you don't necessarily need to have the art educational background. You can find different ways and different avenues to get here to being an artist. And I just really respect and admire the fact that Nick decided, hey, this is what I want to do now. And he's doing it in a big way. Now, it sounds like you're being awfully nice. I mean... Where are you thinking in your head? You're like, man, I've been doing this for ages. He just got in this business. Come on, this is we're all friends here, and whoever's else listening, we're all friends. Come on, Michael, let's let's get real. No, no, and that's I was talking to Nick before this that I, I'm really here, and the show is here to be an advocate for the artists and to bring the conversation back to the people. And I've been saying for a long time that other artists are not my competition. I am my own competition. I'm in my own lane. I do my own thing. And I was talking to Nick and I was like, sometimes I overshare and I, I probably give opportunities to other artists and take them off my own plate. But I, I like what he's doing. And there, I'll be honest, there are not a lot of artists that really capture my attention. And I am always kind of interested in what they're doing. But whenever I see his work on Instagram, I am very curious to know what he's doing because it is that cool. And he's gone viral so many times because I think other people feel the same way that it is just really cool and exciting work. What's your take on that, Nick? I mean, how do you, how do you see other artists relative to yourself? I mean, being that I guess relatively newer, I guess, I mean, how do you see that whole environment? Oh, it's such a, such a complicated question for me because every single day I'm learning more about myself and my, my brand and how I present myself and how I feel and all these kind of things. And I used to actually be like, it shifts, you know, it's sometimes I'm really competitive in general. I know you guys were track athletes, right? Like that's what Michael said. Um, and I kind of bring that into my art where part of me does want to be the best. Part of me does want to do the best technique. And, and that isn't always, you know, the point of art. The point of art is sometimes just to, to make things that you resonate with the most. And if you really dive into that, that's usually where the most beautiful art comes to be. And so when I do try to get all competitive, sometimes I've noticed that affects my art. Um, sometimes when I'm looking at Instagram, seeing other artists, I'm like, damn, they did that so much better. I'll never amount to that. How did they do that? Either I'm inspired or I'm defeated. And so kind of like what you're saying, Michael, it's, it's sometimes better to stay in your own lane, um, which can also get a little tricky too. If you don't like open your mind to different opportunities or possibilities, you might be limiting yourself too. So it's kind of that fine tightrope, uh, I would say, for me. Yeah, I agreed with a lot of the things that you said there. The idea of 
wanting to kind of be in your own lane, but also be aware of the other things because sometimes you do cut yourself off and limit yourself. But uh, I, the reference to track too, it's, and it brings me back to that, the ideas of, of being a long distance runner, because I remember I'm a very competitive person. Like I'm a go-getter every day as much as possible. I'm at the gym. I still do my runs a couple times a week and that's how my morning gets going. Everything is structured, regimented, and I apply the same principles to art. And so the way that I look at it is it's like, Technically, I'm in a race and there are other people, but I am still in my lane and I'm trying to PR and kind of bring myself to new levels. So there's no reason that we can't all be kind of PRing. And it's uh, so PR for those that don't know personal record, like hitting your new milestones. But there's no reason we can't be pushing each other in a healthy way. Like, so uh, I don't want to say competition in a bad way. Like other artists, I'm not competing in the sense of uh, trying to wish them to be lesser. I want other artists to be all that they can be the best versions of themselves to find themselves in their art. And I think that that, if they are willing to be open, that can help unlock those doors for other artists as well. So I think that part of the goal of this show is to open these dialogues and these conversations and be more welcoming and work with each other as opposed to against each other. Okay, so let me, both of you guys can answer this one right here. I mean, talking to someone that doesn't know much about art, I mean, and abstract art can mean, sometimes you see, I mean, I think it's seen like the news or online, where it's just a line and it's sold for a million dollars, right? Or or the perception for someone like myself is like, oh, what do they really do to that, right? And it's a million dollars. Has there ever been a moment for either of you guys where you see something, you're like, that's sold for that much? Like, and they, they did like, what on it? Dude, that is one of the number one reasons that like activates my competitiveness. And that's like one of those feelings where it's not like I'm happy for them. I'm almost like resentful, like, wow, how did that sell for that much money? That makes me feel like I'm in the, I'm doing the wrong thing or I'm not creating the, the right brand to maximize profit. You know what I mean? And then that's one of those situations. I don't know about you, Michael, but I'm just like, that's so ridiculous. But <laughs> I don't know how to, I, that's how I feel about it, at least. Yeah, I mean, you got the banana on the wall situation from a couple of years ago where it sold for like, what was it, uh, 60000 or was it was it more than that? I can't recall. But uh, yeah, you, you kind of enter a different conversation there. And I think that what you enter there is a realm of the art world that we are sort of reacting against with the creation of this show. Whereas that's like the upper class, you have to have this level of education and sophistication and understanding of all these terms and concepts or you're not welcome to the dialogue we're here to kind of bring the art back to the people. And so, yeah, I look at that stuff and, and I say, well, uh, but I, I mean, I, I did study art history too. So I do understand kind of where that comes from, but, uh, but a lot of that comes down to just the gatekeepers. When you get to that level, you're dealing with a handful of galleries, like a very selective handful of galleries and auction houses that are navigating these things and telling you what is worth money. But for me, when it comes to art, what makes you feel something? And that doesn't necessarily have to be something that is selling for a million dollars or even a hundred thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars. If something that is five dollars or something that is free makes you feel something, that is powerful art and that is priceless. Yeah, that's a good point. Like independent of the price point, if art makes you feel something. And maybe if it was created in a genuine way, I think that's like the whole point of art. That's like what makes art good. Um, but the competition in me like sees the price point. I'm like, dang, how did that happen? But I, like you said, I understand it. I didn't have like an art history and I understand there's probably some context too, to it was, gen it was you know, revolutionary for its time and everything like that. Um, 
which makes that to me make sense as to like why it could be priced that high. Which I think it, in some cases though, it really is just like, Hey, I'm going to price this, this high just to prove that I can do this. I think that that is a part of the conversation to got this kitsch uh, effect of like, just like, Oh, here's a banana and it's going to be $60,000 in right. because technically you can call anything art and you can tell a story and you can essentially make it art. But is the value really that? But I guess ultimately the value is what somebody's willing to pay for it. But uh, mm -hmm. for me, and I don't know about you, Nick, but like, so I'm kind of navigating this thing right now because I've sort of seen the ups and downs of the economy in terms of uh, art purchases and things like that. And, and for me, 2023, uh, I noticed some, some dips from some of the past years, like 2015, 2016 were very good years for me. And I've had ups and downs and, you know, every once in a while, I'll sell a painting that can float me for several months or, you know, a period of time. But when things start to get tight as a full-time artist, I do start to ask those questions of like, oh, you know, are, is my stuff priced too high? Or what are other things selling for? You know, do I need to raise my prices? Do I need to lower my prices? There's the psychology of pricing too, where sometimes you can raise the price on something if the perceived value changes because, I can share one story right here. There was a time that I had a piece that was priced at, I think it was like probably like $3,000. Nobody buying it, nobody touching it, no interest whatsoever. And then I decided, you know what? Nobody's buying it right now, but I feel that that piece is one of my signature pieces, one of my most valuable pieces. I want to price that piece at $20,000. And guess what? When it went to $20,000, somebody bought it. So wow. couldn't sell it for three, but sold it for 20. So uh, art's a funny thing because with other industries, it's like, well, here's the established value. There's a, an established value for products, for services, for items. And with art, it's very much about perception and ebbs and flows with the industry. And when things get tight, you start to question like, oh, do I need to adjust to, to kind of make this work? Yeah, I think that's so true. I, uh, I had a, for the last two years, I've just been steadily increasing my pricing. And to me, that just felt like the natural path. I'm getting better with my work. I'm selling a work for XYZ. And since I'm getting better and my brand's getting bigger, my following's getting bigger, my art should be worth more. But like you're saying, it's not always just about this linear, you know, X, X, Y axis of two different parameters. There's, there's perception and stuff like that too. So that's really interesting. So we, we've talked about it before, me and Michael, about, I mean, he, he can get pretty aggressive about people saying that his when someone says his art art is not worth what he's asking for, how do you deal with that, Nick? Because, I mean, perception because reality, and we all have a number of what we think it is. I mean, when you have basically those naysayers reaching out to you, what do you do? Um, yeah, the only time I've experienced that, and probably because I don't have that much in-person experience yet, has been on social media. And with social media comes all kinds of troll behavior, all kinds of people that, you know, had a bad day or they just love to get attention and say this controversial thing. And ironically, that's the thing that sticks out to people, especially creatives who are putting their heart out for the world to yeah. see. And so I've just eventually become numb to it. I've also had people that have said the opposite, like, oh, this should be worth way more. So, you know, it's just, that's been my overall experience. So I'm kind of just numb to that now, I think. And so that's you, something we talked about before. So, so you have had trolls. You have had people say negative things about your work. Oh my gosh, yeah, all the time, especially on like like Reddit and TikTok. I feel like that invites a little bit more, like because with Instagram, you have a curated algorithm that's showing you people that you follow and like things you like to see. But 
the second something goes viral on TikTok, or if you're just posting on a subreddit and Reddit, like you're inviting a whole new audience of people. And those are usually when I get like the weird comments for sure. That's true. And that makes sense. Cause you, you have had a lot of stuff go viral because what I've noticed is uh, I was doing work before that was more of just the fluid techniques, but with a brush. And I would get a lot of criticism for that. And when I started kind of reverting back or mixing in some of the geometric elements in conjunction with that and playing off the relationships a little more, I think it demonstrated a little bit more of my technical skill. And so then I started seeing more comments from people of like, oh, okay, I can, I can see the skill here. And I had more people kind of like in my corner. But yeah. what I have noticed in the past, and I haven't had anything reach the level of what you've had in terms of like visibility on a singular poster or overall reach. But I have noticed when I have something that goes like, say from like a thousand views for me to, to 10,000 or like 50,000 or a hundred thousand, when it starts hitting those bigger numbers in a new audience, that's when I start seeing the people start to trash it. it and it's because it is new people. Yeah. That's so funny. You say that. And it's also like, things can go viral, not because they're good. They can go viral because they're bad or because they incite some kind of engaging response from people, you know, whether it's rage or, or, you know, something like that. Right. And so like the, I had the same thing. I had a 5 million video view on TikTok of me taking five, pu you know, five puddles of different colors, a big brush, swooping it like this to some like trending sound. And um, of course it got crapped on. And like, I wouldn't necessarily say that's like good viral. I think that's like almost like a regrettable viral moment because then you have all that on your page and it's just like, dang, I went viral for the wrong reason, but you can't control it. So it's interesting. Yeah, and it's tough. And, and I've tried to tell people this, that it really doesn't matter how established you are or how long you've been doing this. Like I can get a lot of positive comments and I appreciate the positive comments, but I can get a whole bunch of positive comments and that one negative comment, it's like, I want to ignore it, but it just cuts into you in a, yeah. in a very deep personal way because we kind of do expose ourselves and put ourselves out there. Like I posted something on YouTube the other day and it was a piece, um, a black and white piece. And somebody commented on it uh, about how like it's lazy art. And I ended up selling it like an hour later. And I was like, well, guess what, asshole? It just sold for $1,500. So I like to do this thing called uh, eggplant to the week where sometimes I'll like blast one of my trolls for fun. Um, like generally I let it go. It doesn't bother me too much, but sometimes I like to do that just to kind of, sometimes a bully needs to be punched in the mouth is how I feel. And I know some artists out there that don't have as much experience may not be able to take it. And it may make it so that they don't want to make art anymore. And I hate seeing that people being bullied. So sometimes I, I have a little fun with the trolls, but I, I know I really just need to ignore them. Nice. Yeah, well, I think that's funny. What are you saying, Vinny? Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, for people listening or even watching it, I guess, right? You can kind of definitely tell how riled up Michael gets, right? On either the highs or lows. And for Nick, right? It's like, it happens positive it, it it's okay like like very even kill are you like this like for the most part like pretty even kill no i'm pretty i'm super emotional like it depends okay. on my mood i'm just in a total relaxed mood today um <laughs> like my wife will tell me like i'll have i'll have the littlest thing like completely ruin my day and i don't know it's funny like i don't know if that's an artist thing or not but i'm uh, i'm just super chill right now but yeah and i can't think as well i feel like right now but like i i'm having a trouble giving like nuanced answers but like overall um it happens yeah like you said it, it kind of happens but i've had moments like michael too where i just get like really pissed off about it and that's the fun stuff to put in the art too though it's like whatever you're feeling that's the best thing that you can put into the art 
it's like, uh, you know, if you're feeling stuck or unmotivated, sometimes you just got to to make the work. You got to get going. You got to get started. It's like warming up the muscles. Like, you know, I, I don't want to get up and run today. Well, you know what? You got to get that first mile in so that then you can warm up by mile two, three type of thing. And yeah. the same thing goes to art. And people so often say like, well, I'm not really feeling it. Well, there, there's a lot of times that you aren't really feeling like you want to do it, but sometimes you just got to get started. And whatever you're feeling, whether it's good, bad, angst, anything, that is what you should put in the art that you're making right now. Because that honesty, that vulnerability is the most valuable thing that you can offer through your work. And that's also the reason that I don't really feel competitive with other artists in the sense that many do, because the thing that I put into my work that no other artist could ever take away is my soul, my energy, that emotion, my story. And I could never take that away from another artist. And that's why even if there's another artist that I feel is like in the same kind of lane or, or next to my lane, I'm not really working against them. I'm working against myself. No, I love that. Yeah, I think that's when I make the best art too, is when I like use the emotions that I'm having and channel it into a piece. Like um, a year ago, my uncle like, you know, tragically passed away from a heart attack in the driveway. And I was, you know, pretty angry about it. And I wanted to make a red, fiery, hellish piece. And it came through in my work. And I was like, super meticulous about the details and the energy. And like, um, I think, you know, as cliche as it sounds, like it produced pretty good work. You know, sometimes um, I think people should channel whatever emotion they're feeling into their work, and they can they can use it to their advantage for sure. How long does it take? I mean, for I guess both you guys to 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 make a piece. I mean, how long does it usually take? Um, anywhere from like fifty to one hundred twenty hours. I found personally, oh, wow. I take my time for sure. It used to only be like maybe five or ten. And what I tell people is just the right amount of time to tell the story, because sometimes I'll have an intention for a piece of where I'm going to go, but sometimes those first couple brushstrokes will completely go in a different direction. And so I like to let the painting have a voice. It's like a dance partner. And if you try to fight your dance partner, it's going to be reflected in the dance. And so sometimes it will take a completely different trajectory than I thought. And this kind of goes back to something I heard in one of the interviews that you did, Nick, where you talked about how, uh, and this goes the same for me with, with my initial processes. Sometimes that first action really shapes the entire energy of a piece, but that action can just be a fraction of a second that drives the intensity and the energy and the flow of an entire piece. Yeah. Yeah. I start with the organic bits for that reason, because that initial gesture, it totally dictates the rest of the painting. And you, you had also mentioned that sometimes you'll spend like periods of time kind of practicing the motion or visualizing it. And I've done the same thing. And, and it's hard to explain to people because from the outside looking in, people will be like, oh, well, you know, you just do something that takes like a fraction of a second to do. But to be able to let go to the extent that you can, you know, you, you got a big canvas, you got a lot of paint. These things are expensive things. You're creating a big piece that's going to be displayed, that's going to be visible to the world. And to be able to let go to the point that you allow yourself to have that freedom, that dexterity, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. And, and until people experience that, it, it's hard to really kind of explain. Yeah, I mean, you explained it really well. I think there's so many parameters that seem super trivial when you just see a video of somebody doing a, a splash motion. But there's 
there's obviously the, you have to be super body aware. You have to get in a flow state. You have to, you know, kind of abstract about what is the intention. Do you want to have a splash going off the canvas? Do you want to have it like two inches from where you strike it? You know, how thick is your paint? Um, what kind of pouring mediums are you using? You know, the way you place the colors next to each other will show how much they're going to mix too upon striking. And like, this is not conventional art, right? This is, this is action painting, kinetic painting. And that's, it's a whole new genre that like, I think is becoming trendy because social media has that low barrier to entry. It shows people how easy it is and stuff like that. But anyone who's tried it knows that it could be very unappealing if you don't like know your stuff and if you don't have an intention behind it. And if you don't have kind of planning ahead in mind, yeah, and I want to touch on something you just said because you mentioned the trendiness of it. And uh, so now the, the criticism is like with poor painting, well, everybody's doing it. But I kind of think that that's a beautiful thing. I, I think that that's a positive thing because I, I think that art is a beautiful thing to help people find themselves and, and to heal and to become better versions of themselves. And I think that when we start to have a conversation that, well, you have to have an understanding of this or that to do it. I don't I don't agree that you do. I think that sometimes it's okay to not know what you're doing and be willing to take that. I think that there's something tremendously beautiful and powerful and, and vulnerable in that of somebody taking this chance to do something and to, to let go of that of something that they don't understand and they're just going to dive in and let it go where it goes. So there's definitely a, a beauty to that. But then as you transition to the side that Nick and I are on of like we do this for a living, there are added complexities I think that are on the other side of this spectrum. So uh, I welcome everybody to the conversation to try it. I encourage them to do it and to, to learn these things. And you will see that it is not as simple as many perceive it to be, to, to create these relationships and these dynamics and to tell a fluid story. So there, there, there's an entire spectrum to be explored there. And one that can never really, I feel, be perfected because as artists, we're always recreating ourselves and finding ourselves. And even once we do, we are reinventing ourselves. Yeah, I love that. I love, I love what you're saying. Cause like the, the trendiness of it inspires people to want to try it themselves. It's, it maybe appears easy. So they pick up a brush and they do it for whatever reason. And it's great because they're being artists. They're, they're expressing themselves. And I think that's beautiful. Um, I think for, for me, I, maybe it's that competitiveness in me. I want to, I want to like really show and, and like explore that possibility of the most complex fluid looking painting that the coolest splashes augmented with geometries and landscapes and gradients. And I just like to explore that like trippy, abstract, surrealistic world um, that can be achieved with these techniques. And I think like for me personally, I think, and maybe you relate with this too, and maybe it's because we're both track athletes or something, but like the, the physical movement of the body and using that within the paintings, it's like, it's an example of your soul, kind of like what you're saying. It's, it's, show, it's giving people like a glimpse into how you're feeling. And you can see it based on the acceleration of the paints, um, the, the, how hard you're striking it and like the, whatever message you're trying to convey, whatever story you're trying to convey. Um, and I think that's like a beautiful aspect of action painting. And it happens in a split second, but you know, there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of story that goes behind it to what you're trying to convey in the very end. And um yeah, sometimes it's super like tailored and very like dependent on the end result. Sometimes it's just for freedom of expression. And like you're saying, since we're full-time artists, there also are those other parameters. Like you kind of do have to 
sometimes like make like make like something that people can relate to in a way or else it's just super out there but hey there's there's both sides of that spectrum too yeah we got to ask the question is it going to sell because <laughs> we got right, exactly. to bring in new stuff yeah well how how often are you having stuff that you look at you're like it's not that good i mean i gotta i mean does that happen i mean what's what's the frequency of that for me yes yeah i mean my garage is full of paintings that were just you know practice attempts or things that are like okay that did not go how it planned for sure and i don't share those for a reason and yeah that happens all the time for me in fact the last painting that i did i had started it and it wasn't exactly what i wanted it to be and so i ended up regessoing it and working over it now a lot of times what i'll tell artists to do is just go with the story go with the flow but in this case, the story was the anxiety, the confusion that I have based on my concussion and, and my traumatic brain injury. So I said, you know, in this case, it makes sense to work over it. And I allowed those kind of unique textures to show through. Because my rule right now with the work I'm doing is that every single painting, I have to try one new technique so that I am learning while working within this body of work. But this painting that I started off with, like, oh, I, I fucking hate this. I want to set this thing. Like, there was a point where I wanted to throw it against the wall. And naturally, as life always unfolds, I finish this painting and it sells within a freaking day because that's the way that it always happens for me. The ones that I finish and I'm like, this is one of my masterworks. It'll sit in the closet for a decade. Meanwhile, the paintings that I finish where I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't really care for this. Like, that's the ones that people always want. So we are our own worst critics because oftentimes the things that we don't connect with me or, or I connected with it, but I was like, I, there was angst in it there was anxiety to the piece and sometimes those are the things itself but th there was a realness and a vulnerability so, with that and so as long as you're honest with the work you know people people like that it sounds like nick you some stuff that you don't like you basically just trash michael even if you don't like it you still try to sell it is that right i mean i'll try to fix it as much as possible okay. and um what Michael says resonates with me so much in the sense that like, yeah, it's like you put your heart into something, but it's the thing that sits on the shelf. And then you, it's not like you don't put your heart into thing that it does sell, but it's just, you, you wouldn't expect it to. And that's, it's funny how that works. And so like, me, how do you know? How, how do you like, I mean, how do you know that's like, it, it, it's, I don't know, shit might be a hard word, but it's like, if you feel that it's not good and you're like, do you, is there someone else you bounced your ideas off or is it an internal feeling like for you guys? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's sometimes I'll send something like a, a Snapchat to my family of like something I'm working on and I gauge their reactions about how, how it looks. Sometimes I'll show my wife and usually we're like kind of opposite when it comes to like taste. So if she doesn't like it, I'm like, okay, I might be in the right direction, <laughs> which is so funny. Um, but you know, we, it's really good to have that. And then sometimes you just kind of know, um, you know, like what is like artistically sound, at least I feel like I have like a decent intuition for that. Like, and I want it to be grounded in some kind of reality, like, like this painting, for example. Like, I just got a bunch of print samples, but you can see how there's like shadowing at the, at the ground level. So it implies that it's an object that's touching the ground, right? If I didn't add those shadows, like that piece would just be this floating alien globular structure, right? And I think adding it to the ground adds a, a, some denseness some reality to it and I think if you can't create that feature, then you're a little bit more limited in terms of something that like you can be proud of and share, I guess, <clears throat> um, as a sellable piece at least. So that's maybe one example, but yeah, I'll always try to like fix it. I'll, I'll do like digital renders on top of like the splashy organic stuff. 
until I find something that looks somewhat palatable. Um, but I'm very willing to scrap everything and start over these days. I, I really just do seek perfection, um, which has its, its crux to it, but I, that's kind of where I'm at these days. I don't know about you, Michael. I would say I definitely have that side of me, uh, especially as a neurodivergent artist with Tourette's, like you were talking about uh, the action and how the actions reflect the personality and like my dexterity, my motions reflects me as an artist with Tourette's, but also the track and the, the physicality aspect. But for me, with uh, as Vinny was talking about in terms of liking or not liking a piece with me, it's not necessarily 100% contingent upon the aesthetics, but about the am I honest with the story? Because I do have that understanding of uh, if there's honesty with the story, there is beauty there. Even if like, like if I'm struggling and the painting looks like, oh, it looks like he's struggling. Well, guess what? I just captured exactly what I was trying to convey. And like right now I'm trying to capture and, and share the experience of a traumatic brain injury and trying to figure out who I am and things not making sense in the world. So nothing makes more sense than for my paintings to have this conflict of, of not making sense. And so what I did was I took one step and I was like, you know, I, I don't really like the way that that step looked. And so what I did was I just kind of worked over it. So it's not that I like scrapped it. I just kind of worked over it, but allowed all those underlying textures to show through. So they were still a part of the story. It just represented the anxiety and the struggle pushing through these like planes through space and time. So it really accentuated the story. So it's not like a, oh, I'm scrapping it. It's more of like a action reaction thing. And I think that uh, from what I see with Nick too, uh, I, I would guess that a lot of your work is about uh, you take an action and then you react to it. So it's like that dance, that back and forth dialogue. It's like you allow the painting to have a voice. And like, so you mentioned the grounded shape. So you work with the shape. And then the painting said, well, I, I don't feel grounded. And so you said, okay, I'm going to ground you now. So it, it was this back and forth, but listening to the painting. I love how you can like tell that story for your work. Cause I am so damn literal with, with my process and everything. And like, I, all that stuff is in my brain. It's just not something I like, I guess sometimes I do share it. Like for this painting that's behind us on the podcast for anyone watching that was like my longest painting. I was really pushing myself. I was trying to meet a deadline. And like, I shared that as part of the story of the creation of the painting. Um, and I think that's, that's a cool aspect to it, but it's just like, I need to, I need to like learn how to speak art. Like you do, Michael. I, <laughs> I just well, you know, know but you know because you do so well because your work does it for you. That's so, what, yeah. I try to do that. Actually. I try to let the work speak for it. Yeah. And I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, because you mentioned the technical side, and there is definitely a very technical side. So I want to give you a chance right now. Can you tell people what your favorite social handles are for your favorite platform so people can go look at your work and see what you do? Yeah, uh, at and oh, for my work at nboltman underscore art, that's N-B-U-L-T-M-A-N underscore art. Um, that's for my Instagram, TikTok. Facebook is just Nick Boltman Art, um, spaced out. YouTube is nboltman underscore art. Um, but in the description here, you can see like my whole um, link tree, which will show all of that. Is that what you're asking? My handle? Yeah. 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 I want people to be able to find your art to take a look because uh, we're doing the, the live feeds where we're face to face on YouTube and you can we can see art in the background. But yeah. for those that will be listening to the actual podcast, you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> so we want you to see when you are at a safe place 
uh, what we are talking about. But make sure you're in a safe place because uh, those drivers that don't pay attention uh, will drive straight up the ass of uh, other people, which is what happened to me. And uh, I mean, maybe, maybe there's some good art coming from it, but geez, my, my brain just feels rattled some days. And, and I, I'm grateful and thankful that I have the art as a platform and as a vessel for release, as a way to, to find myself, to, to try to ground myself, but also to, to share the struggles, to share the journey with other people and, and to help people try to find their voices. And so that, again, that's the reason we want to do this podcast is to not get you to, to think like me or, or Vinny or, or Nick or, or to be like us, but to become the best version of yourself and, and to reach that next level, that next stage. And if we can help you to do that, by exploring art and feeling more comfortable with having a dialogue about art, then uh, then we've done our job in that case. So let me let me jump on this. So if if you guys have been here, you've seen our backdrop. If you're watching us live. This is Nick's backdrop, and for some reason, I just keep on picturing technology. And I know Michael talked about AI. I want us to get get back to what were you talking about with artificial intelligence? What were you bringing up at the beginning of this podcast? Yeah, so I think that that is a, a hot topic in art right now, and. Uh, there's the big debate with artists of, is it taking over? Is it taking work away from artists? And uh, so I, I want to kind of dive into that, but, but first I want to ask like, so Vinny, have you used any of these platforms that use AI, like any of these like TikTok filters or features that use the AI? No, well, no, I, I don't, I don't use filters. I'm, I'm not a, a 20 year old uh, girl. <laughs> But uh, we did. I was with my wife the other day, and, and we, we were just messing around with each other on um, Snapchat, right? Just to each other. And there was one that was like a model filter. It was crazy how much it changed, like the, the cheekbone and the lips and all that kind of stuff. It's, man, I feel bad for the younger generation kind of living in that, in that environment. But no, I don't use it on social media. Everything, if you look at me, Everything's real, guys. So, <laughs> yeah, and I, I see why it pulls people in because it, it is enticing and it is fun, and it is easy and it is quick and it is immediate, and that is everything against almost what Nick and I do of uh, putting in time, energy, soul, effort. And Nick talked about how many hours it takes sometimes upwards of a hundred hours on a painting, and so when somebody like Nick is putting that many hours into this painting that we're using as our backdrop right now. And then you have somebody that goes in into a, a program and just inputs a few words or, or presses something or takes a photo and just does this thing immediately. I mean, how do you, how do you feel about that, Nick? Yeah. You're making me realize something. It's like when you talk about the story of the art and why people purchase art and what's what resonates with them, I think pressing a button for an algorithm to spit out some kind of amazing image from a large language model is not something that like makes people want to buy it. It might be an interesting, cool little tool of today's generation, but you know, when you see a process video of something that it's like, Oh my gosh, a human made this. Oh wow. It took 120 hours. You know, that itself is part of the story. And that's why I've kind of changed my tune over the past few months about AI I'm especially now that I've like kind of felt the limits of it, like chat GPT is great and all, but like, you know, when like a message is chat GPT generated, at least I do, I can kind of feel like, okay, that's not how humans talk. Like there's no punk, there's no exclamation points. There's no like slang in here. And, um, you, you know, refer to messages like direct messages or things that you get or like messages to buy work type of thing. More like when I worked in sales and I could see 
the outbound messaging that I was. Oh, okay. So you're talking about like spam messages that are auto-generated type of thing? Yeah. And like, I watch a lot of YouTube content and a lot of like, you know, quick ways to get rich and stuff like that. And like that chat GPT is trying to be used and like trying to use AI and like the, the, what's it called? The, the new Photoshop aspect that like expands the image outwards and like it has like clip art looking stuff. So I don't know. It's not perfect. Oh, yeah. You, you can add stuff to it, right? On, on, Canva, on Canva, I think you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bunch yeah. of softwares could doing that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. But yeah. When I think of like the, the story of it all, like I, that's why I don't think AI art is selling because the story is not like compelling enough. Now, if you use AI as a way to do digital concepting and then you integrate that within maybe like a fluid painting, like an action painting, I think that has a cool story to it. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think that that definitely sounds like an ethical use of it. And I think that's what you get down to is just breaking down the ethical versus the non-ethical applications. I mean, I think that once we started using filters, it was like, well, what's the next step? And it was mm -hmm. logically going to kind of move in this direction. But I think the difficulty for artists that do this for a living as opposed to just for fun or for a hobby is that we very much depend on the exposure and the visibility. And so with the implementation of AI, there's much more saturation of the market and sometimes more visually stunning images because AI has essentially limitless possibilities versus the time and effort that goes into to making a piece and the frequency of being able to make a piece, which can sometimes then make it harder to kind of gain that traction. Uh, it, it's like uh, kind of my view of doing art fairs and festivals. I don't do as many art fairs and festivals as I used to do. Like I used to do the Mission Federal Art Walk, uh, the Little Italy Art Walk here in San Diego in April, which is like the biggest one in San Diego. It has like 100,000 people that come. But what I found was that because there are hundreds of other artists there, by the time people got to my booth, they weren't really interested in buying art because they were overstimulated by all the other sensory perception, looking at all the other art. And so I have since shifted my focus, like when I do events, to things like music festivals or things where I am one of maybe a handful of artists, if not the only artist, because uh, I'm uh, something that they're going to be able to remember a little bit more and I'm not having to i don't want to say fight but like sort of uh, and again com not compete but like something that people can actually remember and i, I think that ai is kind of that's one of the aspects of it uh, i think the other aspect and the thing that really turned me off to it that i didn't notice at first was seeing the jumbled signatures of artists in a lot of the ai recreations and once i saw that out like that hurt like that was painful to see like that i felt in the gut seeing artists signatures jumbled in there and knowing that oh, okay, like it's one thing if the artists give consent for this to be done and it's incorporated. Like if I was like offered like, hey, Michael, do you want to include your work in this AI program? And we're going to like give you like, you know, X amount of dollars or we're not going to give you any money, but we'll give you visibility and credit. Like that's one thing. But, you know, for all I know, my work could already be in that model and I am not aware of it. Well, would you like, so like Bruce Willis, I think he has like some kind of like degenerate like thing going on where he can't act anymore. But he gave the right to some company that can use his likeness to do movies with him and, and shows and everything like that. Do you think for I guess for either of you guys that if you could describe your art and build out the 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 ones and zeros, would you allow someone to use your likeness for for Nick or for for you, Michael? That's such an interesting idea. If the likeness is maybe like the inputs of all of my existing artwork. Yeah. 
And that would be cool because then I would, I don't know, maybe I get a royalty or I sell that system of my artwork to someone. Yeah. I think that's the cool part about AI is like, if it's a closed loop system, that's just using the strength of different parameters to, to output something cool and everyone's on board, it's fully consensual. I think that's beautiful. Hmm. And I could do that as like a special project or like a variant of me of sorts, like in the multiverse type thing. So in that capacity, I could completely be on board for something of that nature. I think the big debate really is the consent or the lack of consent from artists. Yeah. And then the fact that so many artists are expected or asked to work for free. And then you have people using AI and people paying to use AI programs. But it's like a lot of times artists don't get compensated for the actual work that they do. So I think that that kind of changes the dialogue too. But it's because you have this wide spectrum when it comes to art of like we were talking earlier artists that just kind of pick up a brush and are just doing it for fun have never done it before and then you have everything in between to the other end of the spectrum of people that make their living doing this well, well there's going to be regulations put in place i mean right because what like it was like beyonce or whatever the artists where they made basically fake songs of their stuff right i mean isn't there a lawsuit i think going on right now that they're trying to fight that that can't use it or so, I mean, I would think the same thing would happen in the art field for you guys. I, I hope so. Um, I think theoretically that should be the case because um, for someone to use my image to train their database and then for commercial use, get profit from my input, I think that's a big problem. It's just like the Wild West right now, kind of like the internet in the early days. I think like in the next few years, hopefully it gets more regulated. Yeah, so I think artists are going to need to speak up and artists are going to have to do what they've always done historically is be the voice and, and we're going to need people to step up and, and to have these conversations. So hopefully we can be a part of that, of welcoming people in and engaging the dialogue and educating people on that are, that are maybe not art makers of the impact it's having on artists. Because like, that's one thing that I'm, I am concerned about. It's like, well, I, I do this for a living and I'm already fighting the cost of living in San Diego to keep a roof over my head. I mean, I built my model off of, minimizing my overhead and living a simple life. And I found a way to make it work, but then San Diego decided to get exponentially more expensive, which is complicating my scenario. So, you know, uh, I think it's an important reminder right now too, to just remind uh, the audience and, and people at large to support your local vendors, your local artists, the, the small businesses. We depend on you. Like you go to a big business and, and you buy something expensive. It may not really have much of a dent on them, but like, one painting for me sometimes is the difference between feast and famine. Like I got to the end of this month and because of my situation, my health situation, I was like, shit, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make rent next month. Like I, I'm very close to being homeless. And then I, I sold one painting and I'm like, okay, I'm definitely not out of the clear, but at least I bought myself a, a tiny bit of breathing room to make it another month. And it gives me another uh, bit of time to kind of figure things out right. Well, even talking about like you're talking about, not necessarily, I mean, for people listening, I mean, <laughs> I'm not an artist, but I mean, even if they don't purchase it, they share it. Cause you guys talked about pretty adamantly that it's, it's a really an emotional purchase, right? That's what's happening right there. So maybe you might not get emotionally attached to that piece, but maybe someone else that you in your network might see and get emotionally attached to it. And they're the ones that end up purchasing it. Purchase the AI art you're saying? No, no, I'm saying for you, because I think Michael was talking about basically his stuff of like people listening right there, support the local artists, support that kind of stuff. And he brought up the idea of purchasing, right, that art. But I mean, sometimes it's just simply, hey, I saw this 
Nick piece over there. It looks legit. It doesn't, it's not really my cup of tea. It doesn't fit my living room, but maybe it might be something that might work for you or, hey, this is Karini's over there. I mean, this might work for you. So just kind of spreading the word, I guess. So non-monetary ways to support artists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a big part of the conversation. And, and so I'm going to be making a shift coming up. Like this podcast was a shift and I'm going to be making, uh, I'm not going to say what it is yet, but another platform shift. And I'm going to be shifting away from Facebook and Instagram and a lot of the things that I've been doing because I'm not, I, I appreciate my audience, but I'm noticing right now I'm not getting a lot of even the, like the, the engagement. Uh, I'm not getting the shares the, the likes, and it's not about likes or comments, but it's about sustainability. And so I've had to kind of evaluate my model and realize that, hey, you know, I'm putting in this work, but it's looking like the sustainability is struggling right now. And so I need to find a way to adapt and find a creative solution, which artists can do. You can always find creative solutions when things get tough, but I got to find a way to make it work, which is why I'm going to be shifting to a new platform that's more of a subscription-based model. And I'll try to give them more exclusive content. And I feel like I'll be liberated from some of the constraints of Facebook and Instagram uh, in terms of like suspensions and stuff, because God knows I've been suspended so many times on Facebook and Instagram. And I feel like once you get just a couple of those suspensions, I feel like the algorithm person or uh, like hates you for forever on after. Interesting. How, can I ask how the suspension happened? So I've been flagged a number of times. I do sometimes like, photo shoots with people where like, like I'll, I'll put paint on them, like nothing sexually explicit or anything of that nature for the most part. Uh, or if it is, it, it is uh, on a, on a safer platform or it is censored or things like that. So nothing inappropriate. I like to talk about mental health and things like no that. Nipples, basically. But I've been flagged on pretty much every platform. Like I've been flagged on Facebook for sexual solicitation, sexual exploitation, and uh, but for things that were not in the slightest bit sexual in nature, I've been flagged for those types of things on posts that were specifically discussing mental health. And so, but it's I sexually really, to you, it's sexually to you, right? It, it's basically how people perceive it, right? Just like you guys are talking about your art, right? You can say this is how it's, it is, right? But it's how people perceive it. So, even though I know for a fact, because I know you, Michael, that that stuff's not sexual in nature it can be perceived as sexual from, from other people. Well, per perception is always subjective, but if there's a shot of a woman's back, like a woman laying down and it's just her back mm -hmm. and her back has paint on it, there's no even approach to the, to the butt or anything like that. It's just a back with paint on it. What is sexual about that at all? It's the emotional, the emotional aspect they're bringing to the table, right? It's, it's, it's the, have you ever seen, have either of you guys ever seen, um, I think it's Carlita's way or not Carlita's way. It was uh, Scarface. I think it's Scarface, whatever. I think it's Scarface. Anyways, <clears throat> there's no actual killing that goes on in the movie, but there's all the perception of it. The, the emotional aspect of it, people bringing something to the table and how the director basically shot the film. And then you're going, oh, my gosh, that was such a gory movie. But there's actually no actual cutting of a human in the movie, right? And so I think that's kind of – it's what they're bringing to it and what you're not necessarily portraying, but how they're taking it, I guess. And you're absolutely right about that. And the truth is, is you could argue anything about anything. But I think what it yeah, comes down right. to is I think that when it comes to Facebook and uh, the parameters, I think a lot of times it's not real people that are evaluating these things. I think that it is in many cases – AI that is reviewing these things like 
I have dealt with Facebook support that's supposed to be real people. And I am relatively certain that I'm still not dealing with real people. So I like you get a suspension and you try to contest it and provide your information. But a lot of times before they get to the review, your suspension is already up. So it's like they punish you and you just have to serve the sentence and there's no real chance to kind of uh, speak your voice and share your, your side of the story type of thing. Yeah, well, it makes sense uh, that you're moving to a different platform. That sucks that that happened because, yeah, I've, I've experienced that too. Unless you have like an in at the company, it's hard to speak with a real person about like the nuances of things. Well, I was going to ask you because this was my other theory. I think that sometimes what happens is there are artists or people out there that are competitive about things. And I think that one tactic used by some people is to just flag things for these things in the hope of getting you banned or suspended. And so that's why I am also careful about dealing with trolls because I could reply back and then they could try to flag that I'm harassing them. And then if I get shut down, that impacts me in a huge, huge way. Whereas for them, this is just them trying to stir up shit. Oh yeah. I've had like three or four comments that I'm like, okay, that is crossing a line that is creepy and I'm not going to engage with you. I'm going to delete your comment and that's it. But yeah, if I engaged, I would fear what you're saying. They flag me. They set a bot farm to do a, an attack on me. They do some DDoS attack on <laughs> my livelihood. Right. So like we're very vulnerable to be putting our lives out there at risk. So you got to like play the game to make sure you don't get affected. I think, um, from a safety standpoint. You seem to know a lot about technology. Is that your background? Um, no, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like a tech nerd about it. I'm no like IT beast about it, but I've just, I don't know. I'm really interested in like those kind of topics I'd say. So, yeah. So what was your background for work? And like, were you uh, always interested in the arts as a kid? Like how did you navigate this journey to kind of get where you are? Cause you mentioned you didn't start doing the full-time artist thing mm -hmm. until a couple of years ago. Yeah, I had a, an interesting path. I'd say I've always been like an artistic creative person, but I never dove into it from like a professional level. Um, my background is in like manufacturing technology and engineering and then in sales. So a little bit of, a little bit everywhere. Um, I'm really thankful for that path because, you know, I did the whole corporate job thing. I worked in the environment for four years, saved up some money, bought a house and now my garage is my studio. And that has enabled me to just go hard at that thing that was so dormant in me for a long time. And, you know, posting on social media, having a lot of success, kind of doing what you're saying, right? A new technique, every painting. And that just like fills me with so much like motivation and purpose. And um, seeing the reaction online too, is just, just makes it all that much better. It makes me want to go even harder. This is something that you kind of, in an ideal world and in, in your dream fantasy that you wanted to move into, and you just kind of started doing it. And then like, maybe you like got some traction, like one of your things blew mm -hmm. up and you were like, Hey, I can, I can probably do this now. Yeah, exactly. I think when I first started, I'd seen a video from a guy named uh, BR Turner art. He was, do you remember him? He's like, uh, classic, I okay. Classic poor painter back in like 2021. He did the technique with the, the cup and like the layered flow troll based paints and he'd make the spine formation okay. down like a vertical canvas. He did that and inspired me. I went to Michael's, bought some paints and did it myself, posted it online. Thing goes viral basically after like six months, I'd say. Like I, I try to replicate like some kind of technique I saw with the dustpan. And um, like you're saying, like that was like, oh my gosh, now I've got a platform. I've been wanting to do this. I feel like validated artistically. Um, and it's like, okay, I got something cool here. I'm going to keep you going.
So you felt like you kind of had the confidence then to just be like, okay, I can now shift away from this other life that I had type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always been like interested in um, like a lot of um, like animation in high school. I did like a little computer class animation. And instead of doing all the, um, instead of doing all like the, uh, um, the formalities, right. Of, of Adobe flash, you know, setting up a character this way with all these hinge pivot points at like the shoulder and the elbow. I was just drawing frame by frame stick figure animations and fight scenes and stuff like that. And I've always been like doing things in a roundabout way that I really love doing. Um, but it wasn't necessarily like the right way to do it. And, um, I'd always well, be a doodler. It's like uh, when it comes to art, it's like you kind of get to decide what the right thing is to do. And especially when you move into the realm of abstract art, it's like there are rules to, to space and, and you play with space and shapes magnificently. But um, ultimately, you are the creator of your own realm. And it's like you can decide now what the rules are. And it, it's really empowering to be like, well, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be right. It's what I decide it's going to be. But that can also put this tremendous weight on you, too, because like we were talking about earlier, feeling that pressure of perfection. And, and I, I can't recall, I think it was Dolly that said um, something along the lines of uh, a perfection that, that it can never be reached. And it's, it's true. Like I'm a perfectionist in, in many of the things that I do. And so I do try to get things to be clean and pristine and uh, to look the way that I want them. But uh, it's also this fight and this struggle to let go. Because when I started out, I was formally trained, classically trained, so I used to do a lot of realistic stuff. I used to hate abstract art. And at the point that I felt like I had uh, enough uh, understanding underneath me through my uh, studies of art history and uh, the technical elements, then I was interested in kind of like, okay, now that I feel that I could create anything that I want, how do we let go of all of this? Because the letting go part is almost hard. So it's like when people attack me and criticize me for the abstract art, they're like, oh, you make abstract art because you don't know how to do realistic art. It's like, no, I, I can show you the realistic stuff I was doing in high school and, and in my first painting course in college. The, the hardest thing for me has been to, to let go of that and to just let things be where there is not a definitive right or wrong to it. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think I, I've experienced that as well. Like when you're first starting out, you learn the basics and the parameters, and that's when it feels like you have to be controlled so that you're not just everywhere. But then once you start nailing those down, once you start figuring out techniques, putting them in your pocket that you can use at any time, um, that's when you can really let go is what I've experienced. And that's, that's when I think the really cool art can happen because you have these parameters set up and then you can be creative within those parameters. And then it's when you know about depth and space and, and gradients and color theory and all this kind of stuff that I've just learned as I've been going, but I didn't have any classical training on it. Yeah, line, shape, color, value, texture, form, all those things are so right. important. From the outside looking in, like if you, if I hadn't learned what I learned about you just from looking at your work, I would have been like, this guy knows his shit. He knows all this stuff. So it, it was interesting to learn that too because I'm like, you had all that. Uh, I don't want to say like intuitively because I, I know that I know the work that has to go into it. So one of the things that I uh, always think about is when people tell me that I'm talented. Like, like I appreciate when people say that I'm talented but the truth is, is that hard work and dedication has carried me much further than talent ever could. So like, I know that uh, some of us do have this innate talent, but I can tell that you have put a tremendous amount of work into what you're doing. Cause I don't imagine that when you first started pore painting that like everything kind of went the way that you wanted it to, as you started. Yeah. You should see my old stuff. <laughs> 
but yeah, like when people say I'm talented, I don't take that as like a, a compliment necessarily. I take it as like a, almost like a diminishing, and this sounds bad. I know what you mean though. When you said I, I seem intuitive, I know you're trying to not discredit like the work that I put in. I understand that, but you're right. Like it was a lot of freaking work. And I, um, I think a lot of times people talk about talent and, and they say they like to use the word talent because they want to kind of, they want it to be like you either have it or you don't, because I think it gives people permission to not make the effort and to not put themselves out there. Mm-hmm. And what I want to encourage people to do is to, to put yourself out there and to let you know that whatever I'm doing, whatever Nick's doing, like, like, yeah, maybe we were born with a little something, but there's a lot of work that goes into it and you can never progress the skills until you put the time and the effort in. But the sooner that you take the chance, you step off the ledge, you put in the time, the effort, the sacrifice, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sooner you can work through the struggles and get to that point of where you want to be. And I think like art just happens to be our thing or my thing and your thing. And there, it takes different forms. And I'm sure Vinny, you have like this thing in you. That's like, it's like, there's a, there's a, a saying or a quote. It's like, the purpose of life is to find your gift. The meaning of life is to give it away. I don't know if you've heard of something like that. And I think that's so beautiful because like my wife's really into like human dynamics and like being really fair with people. And she's so good about handling complex situations. Like she should have been like a PR person, I think. And she's so good at all that. And that's like her purpose. She's a beast at it. And like, my thing is just like, I'm a very sensitive person that really likes visual art and the energy behind it and all that kind of stuff. So I like feel like a curator of those experiences, whether it's videos or animation or painting is the form I'm in right now. Um, but I think like everyone has like that special thing in them. And that's when the hard work from that premise is what the beautiful, the beautiful things happen. And I think like you just need to give yourself permission to, to go into that. And I know there's like financial and logistical things that can stop you from getting there. And that's not trivial. You know, that's, I actually suggest like, at least from my experience, like I made the money before doing the art, um, which worked out really well for me. And that isn't the case for everyone, but yeah, I think everyone's got that special thing in them. Well, Vinny, I got I got a bunch of other things to say, but I, I want to let you. Uh, I don't want to dominate this. I want to let you into the conversation because the, the thing I want to know, Vinny, is uh, from like like I can only see we can all only see things from our own perspective, and uh, I want to know kind of uh, from your side of the spectrum, Vinny, of somebody with with lesser experience in this, like what you think about these things and what your perceptions of them are. Of of art, well, uh, uh, kind of the the things that we're talking about, and like uh, the the questions that you have from the things that Nick and I have talked about, because I can only ask the questions from my level of understanding. And sometimes I think that one of the issues I've had is I've tried to do like YouTube talks and things before, but I speak from my experience, whereas I I, I need. I need the voice from from the other side of things to kind of uh, open up the dialogue and the conversation so we can answer the the things that are not answered in these uh, conversations. No, I think I got, I mean, the, the, the questions, I mean, I think probably for, I think for me is when I look at art is, is especially when it's, when it's abstract, I think of stuff that I've already kind of, kind of thrown out there. I mean, they're the questions of, of, the costs associated with it. I mean, how a quote unquote beginner does one thing relative to another person and, and kind of showing the the different levels of it. Right. I mean, I think those things are things probably, I think most, most people that don't have really an eye for art 
probably question why is that's just a bunch of lines on a paper why is it worth that right but reality is i mean like you guys have already talked about it i mean there's and i think i think probably nick has talked about it more i think that most people probably can understand it i think where he's talked about like it, there's a symmetry to it right understanding kind of the, the how it's lined up but i think things like that are, are questions that probably most people ha- have when it talks about basically abstract art so i think i've, I've kind of dive into a lot of those things i mean we've been going for i mean more than an hour right now um so i think we've we've covered a lot of things now when you look at abstract art and and because you know me like when you first connected with me again uh, a couple years ago when we started doing the other podcast did you like look at my art and be like oh you know michael makes art i don't really understand it but like he likes it and you know he puts his effort into it so like i'll or or was it more like, oh, I can kind of see the skill and the technique there? And and if you didn't like that, that's completely okay to say. No, I mean, when I think it's it's at least for me, right? When there's more paint on the the painting, right, and you can kind of see there's a, a time it took with it that shows more work to it. When it's, I think it's it, it gets me when I when I see abstract art and it's a couple lines. Right. I know it's I know you're, the paint aspect of it to to just a canvas. Right. Shouldn't really play that factor. But when I look at like both your guys' stuff, I can see the time associated with it. Or even if there wasn't a time associated with it, there's a, a system, a process that it took to put that together. I think for me, it's when it's like just a white canvas and there's like five lines, 10 lines on it. And you're like, how much of a system was put into place here or how much time was really put into this place here. That's what gets me. So I don't think with, with your stuff, I was like that. So it's kind of more of a question of like value of the art for the versus the effort kind of put in type of thing. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I'm, my whole life has always been about effort, right? I mean, never had the best grades, never had the, I mean, a lot of the stuff, but it was always about effort, right? I would put more effort than most people. I mean, Michael knows for me, I mean, I have, I have, uh, we have multiple podcasts. I have a team. I have a lot of different things. And sometimes, I mean, people ask me like, how do you do all that stuff? I go, it's effort and systems. I mean, so I can appreciate when someone has a system, an artist has a system, has time into it. Cause I, I think I can relate to that aspect of it maybe. Right. Yeah. That's, what's beautiful about like what people resonate with about art is like, that's, that's your um, metrics by which you evaluate art. And mine's definitely similar. I think mine is like totally just based on, the visual appeal, the the symmetry, the balance, the power, the energy, the kinetics, something about that that just speaks with me. It's like the thing that sticks out on the wall and just forces you to look at it, like that kind of feeling. And it could even be a nostalgic thing. It could be like, who knows, but whatever it is, if it makes you feel something like that's when I think it's it's good. And yeah, like the whole line thing on a on a canvas, on a blank canvas, like I struggle with that too. I didn't go to art school. I didn't like learn much about like, you know, the context of of what makes good art for its time and stuff like that. So um, I think, yeah, for, for the audience listening, um, even if you're like an established artist, um, it's, it's interesting to see like how, how people perceive art and why people buy art and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it really is because uh, when, when I was going through college and stuff, I, I used to actually hate abstract art because I was like, well, I do all this technical stuff. And so I used to judge people that make abstract art until I studied uh, 
all the art history courses that I took, like the Arts of Asia, uh, scroll painting, which was about actually minimal brush strokes and letting go about kanji and whatnot. And so Vinny talked about like effort and amount of strokes, but sometimes for me, it's about like, if I can capture an entire story in a singular brush stroke, there's a beauty there, but I had to sort of educate myself and, and learn and understand the different cultures and uh, Middle Eastern patterns and tessellations and spaces of wonder and modernism and whatnot. But you don't have to take all those things to just know what you like and to appreciate art and to enter the conversation. So, uh, Nick, I appreciate you being here today. Now, uh, you had a show. Is the show still up or do you have any shows coming up? The show is not still up. It ended on the 27th of October. Um, I do not have anything else formally booked yet, but I'm in the works of setting some things up, which is really exciting. And hopefully there'll be more domestic so people don't have to travel all the way to London. <laughs> um, but yeah. I mean, congratulations, though, on an international show. That's a big deal. So um, you. do you want to give us your website? You, you have your originals available. You also have prints available. Anything else people should check out? Originals prints. I just urge people that have not seen my work yet to, to go to my website, nickboltman.com, N-I-C-K-B-U-L-T-M-A-N.com. Just browse through my originals. Um, if you're interested in purchasing anything, uh, please just send me a DM. Would love to, to connect about that. Otherwise, I have prints. They're all limited edition prints out of 25 up to 100. Um, and once those get made, not planning on making any more. Um, I like to preserve that for the customers who have bought it. It's a limited edition. That design's only being made that many times. And that's kind of the value of those as well. Um, but yeah, originals, prints. And I just implore anyone to go check out my videos too. That's something that I really like doing. Making process videos, pulling the viewer along for the journey, making them feel like they're making the work too. And uh, hopefully feeling how I was feeling when I made it. Yeah, I think you're definitely one of the best in the game at that. So I strongly urge you to check out Nick's work. You can also check out my work at KariniArts.com. You can follow me at Acrylic Alchemy. And if you're looking for real estate in the – Vinny, do you do outside San Diego? or Because or, I don't really understand the real estate game. Like, is it just – is it San Diego? Southern California, yeah. Okay, so you – like how uh, – you Oh, uh, like Riverside. Okay. Yeah, I, got, I got team members up there. But yeah, thank you guys for for listening today. Uh, please follow us on YouTube. Follow us the on um, on our podcast. If you're watching us live, feel free to comment. I know we got a couple comments going through. But thank you guys again. Thank you, Nick, and uh, bye everyone. On to the next one. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Art for Everyone podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with your hosts, check them out on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.